bold and raw perspectives of local politics. Important information which impacts our community, nation, and world. Exposing truth, transparency, and getting to the heart of relevant issues that you just won't see in the clickbait media. And always keeping it real. It's the Michelle Tanner Podcast. But I won't back down. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Michelle Tanner Podcast. I have got an awesome, awesome guest today. In fact, at the beginning of the school year, I really thought it would be important to get Terry Hutchinson on because I know we all, as Americans, and especially as parents, grandparents, one of the biggest issues facing our country is how is this next generation being educated? And I think we all have a lot of concerns about the public education system. And so I'm excited because I kind of feel like we have an insider here finally to help address some of these questions that come up. Myself, as a city council member, I get a lot of residents reaching out all of the time with different questions, concerns about their children, about our schools. And actually, for me personally, one of the big motivators that actually got me out of just doing my day-to-day grind in the medical field and being a mom, what motivated me into taking that leap into the political world was when masks were mandated on children in schools. I thought for me, that was my big wake-up moment of if we truly care what's happening in our communities, we have to get involved. And so I've got so many things to talk to Terry about. I don't even know if 40 minutes is going to be long enough, so I'm just going to dive right in. For those of you who don't know Terry, he is on our local Washington County School Board, which, by the way, he has had a lot of glowing reviews as I announced that he was going to be on the show. A lot of people reached out and said, Terry's the only one who responds to me. He's the only one who listens. And and I can actually vouch for that, too. Terry's the one that I know I can call up and he will actually get back to me and be willing to talk about the tough issues. He's also an attorney, radio talk show host. So without further ado, Terry Hutchinson, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Michelle. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Um, we, we've we been working to set this up for a while we between have. our schedules and, and various things. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, actually, the radio thing, I do a daily book review on KDXU. Awesome. I've been doing it since December 16th of 1994. What? Were you even born then? That's the question. <laughs> I was, uh, what, six, seven years old? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So that's that's how long I've been on the air. Which, by the way, I don't even know if you remember this, but yes, I the do. Book of Mormon that my family mm-hmm. reads in, our family Book of Mormon was a gift from you and your wife 15 uh-huh. years ago when my husband and I got married. Oh, so, well, great. So thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> yes. You're welcome. Yeah. We were in the same ward. Your parents are great. Your dad's written two books. They're both on my shelf. Oh, well, that's awesome. I, the one is on the shelf. The other one's in my computer because he sent me a draft. Oh, okay. Very so, cool. And I was going to have a book, a copy of my book. I published a book last year called The Temple Pathway to Heaven. I wrote awesome. it with my father-in-law. It's uh, ancient temple history and history of the temple endowment from an LDS perspective. But, wow. Uh, so is that available? It's People available. Can you can get, get it in paperback on Amazon or it's on Kindle. Okay. Uh, they, and tell me they the were name selling, of it again. It's called the Temple Pathway to Heaven. Okay. So awesome. Anyway, check it out. Uh, it's uh, about 300 pages, and it's about 1,200 footnotes. 
Wow. So, yeah. That's we, intense. We did some intense research for that. Yeah. But, well, I'll definitely know, have to read of, that. Yeah. Lots of fun. So, so anyway. Yeah. School board. What's school like board. the pressing issues? Do you feel like I'll get into some of my questions, but what do you feel like is the biggest issue facing Washington County? Well, the biggest or, issue facing Washington County for ever since I moved to Washington County th- more than 30 years ago has been growth. I mean, we have really struggled with the growth. I mean, uh, for a while, maybe you remember or not, we had year-round school. Um, you know, we passed bonds, we built buildings. I mean, last year was the first time we have not built a new building or started a new building since I've been on the school board, and they told me since long before I got on the school board. So that's really the the thing. We got our new October numbers, which are the official numbers that we use with the state. And if you count the online students, we have 39,800 students. Wow. So we are the fifth biggest district in the state. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of work. Our, our budget is over $440 million every year, mm-hmm. and uh, we have 4,500 employees. I know wow. the city's been trying to beat us budget-wise, <laughs> and last <laughs> year they said, well, we, we, we build a building, so maybe that's it. <laughs> Trust me, you guys are you guys are junior league. Right, yeah. They need to go back to junior league. Seriously, no. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a lot of effort and uh, a lot of work, Yeah. and um, I was on the library board back in the 90s, early 90s, when we uh, doubled the libraries in size. We passed a bond. We built the Santa Clara branch. We built the new St. George branch, the, the one that we use now. We, we doubled Hurricane in size. We added one in New Harmony, Springdale. And uh, that was really rewarding. I loved that job because yeah. I was the chairman of the library board. But this school board has been much more rewarding, and yeah. I've really enjoyed it. Well, let's talk library for a second. Let's sure. talk school library sure. because one of the big issues is pornography mm-hmm. in schools where children are picking up books off library shelves and and Washington County hasn't been immune to some of that, which to me it's just crazy that we're actually in a world where we had to pass state legislation that says we should not have pornography in schools. I mean, how does that even happen? How are librarians who are ordering these books in, why are they not in jail? A lot of them don't, a lot of them don't order. So, so how here's, do they here's get kind of what shelves? we found. Here's kind of what we found. So about almost two years ago, uh, a parent came to us, her name's Erica, and uh, said, hey, you guys have this stuff in your library. It's just starting to become to become a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we said, wow, how, how did this happen? Right. We, we weren't really, we weren't really aware. I mean, people complain occasionally, but it, it's not, you know, it doesn't really come to people's attention. So we started focusing on that issue. And there were two issues. Number one, how do you remove it once it's in there? And number two, how do you keep it out? Well, it's a lot easier to keep it out. But the question really is, how did it get there in the first yes, place? Yes, that's what so, I want so to So we know. looked at it in, in, in that light, and we, we knew we needed to revamp our policies. And there was a Supreme Court decision from 1975 that uh, has been misinterpreted and has been used by groups such as the ACLU to just brutally beat school districts and get them to cave. So when you have a material in a classroom, the school board has the authority because it's considered curriculum to just remove it. But this plurality decision from the Supreme Court said, hey, if it's in a library, if it's in a school library, it's not part of the curriculum. Therefore, more more liberal interpretations of the First Amendment apply. And so when you go to remove it, it's a lot harder. And um, 
So what we did was when when that became apparent, Ken Ivory and the legislature, he put forward a draft of legislation and, and the UPU invited me to go on a Facebook conference with him and talk about it. And even I couldn't support what he'd drafted. I mean, that that was kind of the infancy of what that process was. But Ken, to his credit, went to the attorney general's office. He went to our legal people. He went to our technology people and said, what does this need to do so we can take care of this? And eventually we came to House Bill 374, which essentially says, if a book meets the legal definition of child pornography that's in the criminal statute, word for word, you can remove it. Right. And then the trigger was that that statute said that by Utah state law, anything in a school library is considered curriculum. And the minute that passed, we had the constitutional power to take more control of our curriculum, which we've done. So then we looked at it and we were able to establish some procedures. And the, the state has promised that if we got sued, unlike sometimes in the past, they would defend us all the way to the Supreme Court. So if these books already meet criminal code definitions, which a lot of them do. Out they come. But why are the people who put them in the first place not being prosecuted? Well, here's the thing. Um, no, no district attorney or county attorney is going to sue a local school board. I mean, from a political standpoint, that's just almost impossible. But it's not the school board, I don't think, putting them there. There's somebody putting them well, there. Well, here's the thing. A lot of that has to do with um, vendors. So here's what happens. There are a lot of volumes, and the librarians are overworked, you know, claim to be underpaid, the, the whole story. They just have a limited amount of time. So they do some selections. A lot of them are requests from students or their parents. And typically, libraries just like to serve people. So they say, hey, we don't have this book. Somebody requests it, we're going to get it. Shouldn't the vendors be held responsible well, for I sending so. those and to an elementary there's, school? There's attempts to there's attempts to make them liable. I know yeah. Texas is working on that. Utah's working on that. There, there's other things. But you know, a lot of times when you open a new school, there are services where you can just go to the vendor and the vendor says, Hey, we'll stock this for you. And they do. Yeah. And that's why we get a lot of Howard's in. I mean, we really have just relied on the good faith of the vendors. And, you know, the librarians they don't have the time to micromanage everything. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times things come in, oh, this book won an award. Well, great, it won an award, but that doesn't mean anything because the awards proliferate and the awards are given because of their content or subject matter. A lot of times they feature you know, transgenders, homosexuals, uh, minority groups, people who don't normally get represented in you know, yeah. in, in mainstream literature. And so they're trying to expose the kids to some diversity. But what the authors are doing is they're putting in these graphic sex right. scenes that are very descriptive. And sometimes in the case of graphic novels, they have pictures that are very descriptive. And so that's where, you know, 374 comes into play. And so what happened is once that passed, we adopted a policy. And that very next summer, we had 53 books that we reviewed, 26 of which came off the shelves right away. 23 mm -hmm. were put back. Well, 
we had to take another look at the 23 and eventually about 21 of those came back. But it's a, it's a process that's really challenging because right. sometimes these books, they, they have material that can be helpful to students in some ways. But so, with so many of those books being put on mm-hmm. the shelves and you mentioned the, the quote unquote diversity that we have to expose these kids to, is there any wonder why we have an intermediate school with 20 transgender students? Well, look, that's that's only part of it. A right. lot of it is the culture. I mean, and and people who, who were criticizing us when we were going through this process says, look, the kids can get it on the phones. It's not really. A book oh, it's band. everywhere. No, it's, it's, everywhere. it's everywhere. And, and yeah. so it's it's something that, OK, our focus is on the education, the physical facilities. What do we put in there that's going to benefit and teach the kids in an age appropriate manner? Yeah. And that's essentially it. But we also serve a wide variety of the public. So. You know, we have students whose parents support their choice of pronouns and who support their choice of transitioning or whatever they want to do. And we are going to respect the parents' right to do that. So since we are in this backwards world right now where Mm -hmm. we are no longer actually treating mental health disorders the way they should be treated. In fact, we are promoting it and celebrating it. So we're in this backwards culture now. What are we doing, though, to protect those women, those girls are private spaces, like well, girls' bathrooms. We, we we work with that. So we don't have that in our schools. I mean, the thing, you, you reported something to me a couple of weeks ago. We've investigated it twice. And apparently, to the best of our knowledge, it's a hoax. But is there anything to prevent that from happening? So say a male student middle school or whatever, however old, decides that, oh, I'm a girl now. That's not going to be permitted in our schools. So biological males are not permitted to use female private spaces in our schools. When we have a student whose parents decide that that that's appropriate for their student, we sit down with those parents and we work with them. And we come up with solutions to these very kind of challenges. Is it going to be a permanent solution? Maybe not. Um, And this is a very fluid area. I mean, the Biden administration for years has been threatening to give us this new definition of Title IX that we all have to abide by. And everybody's been expecting this rule to come out and we all have to go forward with it. And I have my own feelings about the rule and the Biden administration. But um, all of a sudden, gosh, it must be an election year because they pulled it off. They pulled it off Mm, the schedule. So we don't have it now. So. A lot of us, in fact, we get legal briefings all the time, and in particular, I follow the legal cases in the federal courts in terms of what they're doing with this. So transgender issues in particular have been upheld by our U.S. Supreme Court in Title VII and in Title V, which is, uh, you know, employment and certain other, certain other areas where they have felt that the idea of transgender, even though it's not specifically in the statute, is implied, so they let it go. Everybody's waiting for them to decide that about Title IX, because Title IX has these huge ramifications, especially for school children that are K through 12. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever the grown-ups want to do, uh, that that just that just gets weird, and that. But they're grown-ups. Right. They're grown-ups. I don't care what grown-ups want to yeah, do. Yeah. But we have an obligation to protect the students. I mean, right. the 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 stuff that's been going on in Loudoun County in Virginia, uh, that's horrible. And those guys, they didn't get convicted. They charged 
They charged the superintendent with making false statements, and he was acquitted by a jury, which to me was ludicrous. Mm -hmm. But this, the district itself is going to pay millions of dollars in damages to that the two girls that got raped by the boy that they let in the bathroom. So right. we're just, you know, uh, I, we don't have an official policy for that, and I think all that does is give you a target. So we work with people. I mean, if a if if one of our employees decides to ask about uh, gender pronouns or a name of a student other than you know just their nickname or something, if they don't have parental permission to do that they're going to be in real trouble. And are we doing anything to protect students' right to conscience and free speech? For instance, is there any scenarios where a student would be forced into speech to refer to someone with incorrect pronouns? Well, the students, the students, um, we have to be a little careful about that because that's where the, the person has a certain right to be recognized in a certain way and their parents. So, it's a it's really a balancing act, and that's why um, sometimes we have this Title IX training that seems like okay. All we're trying to do is essentially say, look, you can't bully somebody, mm -hmm. but obviously, you if, if I don't think that a person who's got that has the right to force somebody else to recognize it in the way they want to be recognized. Exactly. I personally don't subscribe to the issue of micro. Uh, aggressions, <laughs> right. okay, to use to use a better word. <laughs> yes. But on the other hand, we have we, we are required to recognize and serve the general public in those needs. And if those parents and those children want to be referred to in that way, then we have an obligation to try and be supportive. And so it's really a tough balancing act. Yeah, because say I'm a mm -hmm. teacher, I'm yeah. religious, I believe in the Bible, I believe that God created male and female in his mm -hmm. image. I don't believe that there's this non-binary, I mean, that's fiction, it's, it's just simply not well, true. Yeah, and, and but say they're in my class, that's your right. That's and, I your have, right. and they want me to refer to them as they, them, I well, should have again, the religious rights. We, you, well, you have some religious rights, and to the degree that we can accommodate that right. and yet still meet our needs right. to the public, we do that. But that becomes an HR decision. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I can't in good conscience say I'm going to fire a teacher who refers to a pronoun without parental permission and yet say I'm not going to honor the wishes of a parent who does authorize that. I can't do that. That That's too hypocritical. So it's a real tough balancing act. And these are the kinds of things that our administrators wrestle with all the mm -hmm. time. We constantly have training. We have legal discussions. We have discussions as a board about this all the time. And so ultimately, uh, we'll have to see how it comes out. I mean, I personally believe that if a case, there are cases circulating right now, particularly about bathrooms, particularly about locker rooms, and uh, eventually... Uh, the Supreme Court's going to weigh in. Yeah. Now, let's say there's a Title IX thing, because one of the things in the text message you asked me about was some federal funding. So essentially, if we choose to not put forward a policy on transgenders that the Biden administration disagrees with, mm -hmm. they have a couple of options. They can sue us in federal court, or they can do what they call a, a, a civil rights investigation with the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Attorney's Office. That's not a criminal action. But if you want to get federal funds, you have to comply with that. Right. So Davis County had a bullying issue, but it was racial. And so right now they're under a consent decree. So essentially some of their stuff is managed by the federal government because they were under a consent decree and getting sued. Mm -hmm. So 
let's say the Biden administration was successful. I mean, there's a lot of steps that would have to take place. First of all, they have to get this rule in place. Second of all, they have to challenge us on this rule. Third, I don't know what the board would do. I know what I would do. I don't want to speculate about that, but I can tell you right now that my attitude is they're not setting foot on our campus. Thank they're you. not they're not setting foot to do anything and if they want to take our federal funding, so be it. I mean, we'll just make do with less. Yes. But we are a particularly wealthy district as it goes. We could work within our budget, we could work with our taxpayers who probably would support that and do without the funds. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't need to do that. That's way down the road. And frankly, before that even happened, we probably would sue the federal government on the thing and take it as far as we needed to take it. And our district has the funds to be able to take it to the Supreme Court, whether the state supports us or not. Right. Whether the board itself would go along with that, we have to have a majority of board support. I think, frankly, we probably would get it right now. But yeah. that's so far in the future that it's speculative and it just, mm -hmm. you know, but those are the kinds of things that we have to be considerate of. Right. And that's way down the road. And when you think about it, I mean, our federal funds are 40 million a year. Yeah. That's a lot of money that, that goes to the students. And if you lose in a lawsuit, you can have penalties and then we're wasting taxpayer dollars. Well, there's so another issue that I see tied mm -hmm. with federal funds and even actually at the state level. What are your thoughts on social emotional learning? Do you agree with it? Do you think it's beneficial? This has been a big subject these well, last few months. Well, a couple months. of years ago, a couple of years ago, we introduced the social emotional learning, but our people, we've, we've been writing our administration pretty hard, and so they did a very good job of going through and identifying the modules of the social emotional learning that were not going to be acceptable to the community, were not going to be acceptable to the board, and they pretty much took those out and they've removed links. So a lot of the stuff that's the most objectionable to people in our community are outside links. Right. So, so you have a, the social emotional learning program that's provided by a vendor, and then they have supplements that can link to outside sources, and that's where the trouble lies. The trouble also lies when you go beyond the eighth grade, and we don't do that. Mm -hmm. So it's some very simple things that, that can be beneficial to students, and, and once again, we have to remember that in, for a long time, a lot of that was taught in the home. Right. But right now, a lot of that is not taught in the home. And so we have to step in to the to the thing. I mean, I remember. But do we? Do we really? Well, if we don't, what happens? Look, we have so an we're obligation. So saying that we, parents are no longer doing their jobs, and so we, as the government, saying, have to step in. No, we're saying that parents hopefully are doing their jobs, right? But a lot of parents aren't. What do we do? I mean, one of the benefits of public education, and the reason we have public education, is to benefit the entire community. Now, if you have a whole slew of young people who aren't getting training at home, aren't getting educated, aren't doing anything and essentially becoming not only a drain on society, but a threat to society because they don't have that structure. I mean, during COVID, one of the things that, that we recognized as school closed, and this is something that a lot of us don't even think about, mm -hmm. is that there's a lot of kids out there that are not safe at home. I mean... Their upbringing involves the police on a monthly basis, if right. not more. Mom and dad are in and out of rehab. I mean, there's just a whole lot of challenges that yeah. we who have traditional moral values and traditional upbringings can't even comprehend. And so we, we struggle with that. Now, I'm not saying it's our primary purpose to mm -hmm. do that, but 
we do provide a fundamental thing in our education, like for uh, teaching kids how to accept uh, uh, how to accept a, a, a no answer and turn it into a positive, react in a positive way. Right. I mean, that's the kind of thing you're talking about with social emotional learning. And sometimes they don't always get that. But isn't throwing a blanket approach on it like that, for instance, I mean, I don't doubt that there's kids that have terrible homes and terrible parents. In yeah. fact, we know that. We know that. But it's like if you have some people out there who have cancer and you put chemotherapy in the water because we want everyone to drink it because there's some kids out there who have cancer, there could be some detrimental effects to those others who didn't well, have the, an issue. The key is to make sure that the social emotional learning and the point I was making is our, our administrators really did a good job of filtering that out so that the social emotional learning was really things that are beneficial to students, not a lot of the nonsense that the culture puts in. Right. And then we opened it up to parents, particularly some of our probably some people who called you and they got to look at that. And one of the challenges that some school districts have is that um, there were agreements signed with the vendors that only school employees could look at these modules. So we had to work our way around that oh, so good. that parents could review them. And so yeah. once they did, they said, oh, okay, this is yeah. okay. Now, are there bumps in the road? Sure. We yeah. have, you know, like I said, we have 4,500 employees. We have 30 Nine, almost 40,000 students. So occasionally we get a teacher who does something in their module or something like that that's, that's not appropriate, and we have to deal with that. And right. that's where I get the calls. So that I, was... I get a call for something, and I will deal with that. We right. address it. Sometimes we retrain a teacher. Sometimes it, we have to do something a little more serious. Right. But I remember when the, when the legislature passed a law that said you can't teach uh, critical race theory in schools. Mm -hmm. Great. I'm a supporter of that. We had a teacher who moved in from out of state, and he said, oh, I'm going to teach it. I don't care what the legislature says. Well, unfortunately, the teacher put it on Facebook. Oh. He happens to be in my district. <laughs> Please tell me he doesn't have a job any longer. <laughs> Let's just say that uh, he is not teaching CRT in his classroom. Okay. So That's great. I, I would just say that, that the principal met with him, and they had a little heart-to-heart, -heart and mm -hmm. uh, obviously uh, he, he came to understand that, we, you know, as a teacher— Great. You kind of have a freedom of speech in some areas, but you also have a responsibility to the community and your employer. Right. That's us. Right. And so we really try and do that. But once again, I've got liberal constituents. I've got conservatives constituents. And so I have to try and respect all of them yeah. within the framework of my own values and within my own common sense. And even though I have to do sometimes things or authorize things that I'm personally against or that I don't believe in. Mm -hmm. And we gave some examples of that earlier in the, in yeah. the broadcast. That's just the nature of the public service. Right. I mean, and, and so we don't have to worry about in our schools because we control them about some of the things that you do in the city with the First Amendment stuff. Mm -hmm. And even though I don't support that, you know, the First Amendment in the cities is, is there. If I was on the county, we'd have different materials in the library than we used to. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, well, it, it's I, a different, it's a different thing. I don't think it has to be a left or right issue for me. It comes down to what is appropriate for children. Just as I mentioned, when I met with my son's school and I'm going to read what one of their policies were or still is and see your thoughts on this. But my issue with them was, Things in regards to someone's sexuality or mature content or wearing these 
rainbow LGBT pins promoting sexuality in an elementary school. Where does that belong in an elementary school? Just as I didn't appreciate a school counselor going in and telling fourth grade students it's okay to be gay and lesbian. In that same token, I don't think it's appropriate for her to go in and say, if you're gay or lesbian, you're going to hell. You know, it's just not appropriate well, it's setting. Not. And, and so when the counselors are advising the children in that way, once again, it's part of a, a bullying thing. Mm-hmm. So so it, they're not saying it's okay to do that. It's just that you shouldn't be threatened by that, and therefore you shouldn't beat up on these people, Right. essentially. So when I found out about this, I asked mm-hmm. the school, okay, what is your policy in regards to this? And so they're following this. It's schoolcounselor.org, um, and this is their policy that they are using mm-hmm. um, their school counselors in regards to LGBT. Um, and I've qu- taken, quote, I mean, this is direct right from the policy. A school counselor is to promote awareness and educate on issues related to LGBTQ. And we don't, no, we don't subscribe to that. Good. They 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 have training, um, and uh if, if they're violating that training, then somebody just needs to bring that to our attention. We, okay. we do have to acknowledge it, and we do have, you know, like you said, we have students in our community. It's big enough. Right. We, we have these things here. And in my observations, anecdotally, um, when a student comes out as a transgender, usually two or three of their friends do. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a fad. I'm it is. hoping it blows over. But who knows? Right. I mean, traditionally... Whenever a teenager has had issues with their sexuality or their gender, 75% of the time they just are okay if you just ignore it and don't make a big deal of it. Oh, yeah. 80% of the time they're going to change their mind by the time they're 18. That's why it should be absolutely criminal that any child would be having their bodies permanently mutilated. That's true. Well, I think the legislature's taking care of that, but we don't, you know, we don't really get involved in that with the schools. Tell me about litter boxes. Is that really no, a, that's thing? Not a thing? You mentioned, it is a thing in, you mentioned it is Davis a thing in some, County. It is a thing in some schools. I've heard Davis County has litter boxes. Is that just rumor? I don't know about that. That's probably just a rumor. Okay. I, I know that they have had them in back east. So please tell me that we will never put litter boxes in a Washington <laughs> County I've learned, school. I've learned never to say never, <laughs> but I can tell you that we met, um, we, we've had some requests, but that Wait, hasn't been we on. have... Had requests for litter Just boxes. Just from students, not parents. We don't, and frankly, if the students request something, we kind of listen, but really it, we, we have to, we, we deal with the parents and because the th- students are minors. If for those listening have not heard of this it's a furry, furry, the Furries furry term, and scalies. They, they are identifying they have, as they an animal. reptiles. Oh yes. my gosh. I, I haven't mean, even heard of scalies. Yeah. It, it, look, it, it, <laughs> you, <laughs> Let's just say there's a lot out there that uh, we don't. Oh my goodness! You know, we don't. We don't deal with. But there's, you know, there's there's all kinds of things, and we're focused on the safety of the students. Right. We're constantly working to improve our policies about uh, the speech. We're we're trying to make sure that we are uniform in its application and that it focuses on the curriculum and the students. And so we're in the process of kind of tweaking some of our other policies so that the faculty and staff know what the clear guidelines are, where they can do what they can do, how they can do it, and so forth, and not run afoul of it. And one of the things that, um, like in the uh, like in the book thing that we talked about right. at the beginning of the program, we had two parts. We had a removal part, but we also have an acquisition part. So we just opened a new high school. 
The media center there was a little behind schedule because we were reviewing all the materials that went into it, number one, because it's a lot easier to just not worry about it if you don't acquire it in the first place. Right. And vendors came to us and they said, hey, we'll stock your library for you. We said, great. If you'll sign this form that says you won't violate Utah uh, Law 374, we're good. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't do it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they wouldn't do it. So, But we also in addition to that, have a policy about acquisitions. And so if somebody donates to it and, you know, we, we can take donations and that's another thing in the past, people have donated those kind of books to the libraries and they just say, Oh, great. This is a free book. Wow. Let's put it in there. Um, we don't do that anymore. If it doesn't meet the policy, if it violates 374 or it violates, you know, our community standards and, and doesn't meet the certain criteria that we've outlined in the policy, it cannot be accepted. And we do not accept it. And if a librarian puts it in there and they're intentionally put it in, they are subject to disciplinary action. So when we first started talking up. about That's that, what I say, lock them up. The, when we first started talking about that, I said, you know, we need to make this uh, 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 subject to disciplinary action. Yes. Our HR people said, no, we can't do that. About five minutes later, they said, Oh, yeah, we can. Okay, let's yeah. do that. That's the only way and, there's going to really, be change. That, that's the way you have to deal with that yeah. always is personal accountability. Mm -hmm. And it does put a burden on them. I mean, these guys, they are in a whole new world. And we've had to change our we've, – we've changed a lot of our cataloging systems. We're still in the process of doing that so that when a book gets checked out of our libraries, the parents are notified. That's now, the good. parents can waive that notification if they want, but if they don't waive it, it's going to go to their email, and they're going to see what their kids are checking out. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, a kid will get his friend to check it out. Fine. I can't control everything. Right. But then again, you know, once again, our job is to try and protect the students, and it's really an issue of student safety because those are the kinds of things that can be harmful to students. Where are we at in terms of academics? Because I've read a lot of recent research in terms of overall as a nation, our academic test scores are really low. And well, yeah, COVID, COVID killed us nationally. Yeah. Um, we did not suffer too badly from COVID because we opened our schools mm -hmm. in spite of the masks. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother, that's a topic in and of itself for a podcast, let me tell you, oh, because it that is. was very frustrating. Yeah. People were frustrated with me. They wanted me to violate the law. And if I do that, the governor closes the schools and the kids don't get to go to school. And it's more important for the kids to go to school. But when they were trying to force that down, as I said, what are the studies for kids who study with masks? Well, we don't have any. Duh. And I sent them dozens of studies that showed well, there's no reason to be they, doing they, this. They, the schools were open in Europe. Yeah, no issues. Look at Sweden. They didn't, yeah. yeah, they didn't. No, they just look. That's How do we make sure that never happens well, again? First of all, our legislature needs to have a spine, which they didn't do. Right. Um, I think. Well, uh, you know, one option we would have had as a school district was be to sue the governor. And whether you can get board support and public support to do that, who knows? I mean, I'm my attitude is if they're trying to close the schools and keep the kids out of schools, then they we better have some good scientific reasons for doing it. And right. the same goes for masks. I was really frustrated when they took the masks off the adults and left them on the students. <laughs> That's when I lost my mind. Well, I, just... I, did, I did too. And, and you know, what was really ironic is the Utah School Board Association didn't take a position on that bill. And then there was another bill that came through that said, if the governor is going to close the schools, he has to consult with all the LEAs. Or if he's going to mask the kids in the schools, he's got to consult with the LEAs. That's the local school districts. Right. Otherwise, it's not binding on those local school districts. Well, he didn't want that bill because, of course, it takes away from his power. And the Utah School Board Association actively opposed that bill. So um. once again, 
it, but 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 that's a group where we get together as all the forty school districts in the state and we vote. A lot of school districts, particularly up north, have um, a lot more teachers union involvement in their elections. Now, our association here has tried to influence our elections a little bit, but haven't been successful. But yeah. once again, you you know that's where. A school board member has to be a lot more politically active and a politically creative, and it's a it's a changing dynamic that um, most school board members traditionally are not used to. They right. like, hey, I love students, I love teachers, I want to support the kids. They just think it's you you go in there and it's just all hunky dory and happy. And now we're getting these transgender issues, these pornography issues, these threatened lawsuits, all of the stuff. Right. And it's just piling up and they're not used to politically being able to fight back. They don't know how to create a platform. They don't know how to have a voice. They don't know how to work together. And, uh, you know, so it is a team effort. I'm only one of seven. And, uh, so sometimes I don't get my way. Sometimes I do, but if I do, it's because I've been able to convince at least three other board members to go right. along with me. And that's where it becomes really a, an interesting dynamic because you can be vocal, you can you can have all the right ideas, but if you're isolated and on an island, nothing happens. I somehow totally relate to that, Terry. <laughs> I know exactly well, what you're saying. <laughs> well, we could talk we could talk about that too, but it's but it's it's an important thing to remember and I think it's a lesson that a lot of times we have to learn and sometimes we have to learn it the hard way. Right. But it's you know, we have two new board members. Burke Staley and Nanette Simmons were both elected in the last cycle. And so they're kind of feeling their way and trying to figure some things out and we we're there. I mean, I'm probably at the at one end of the spectrum in, of our board in terms of we want to do this or we want to do that. And then, you know, some other board members might be at the other end. But mm-hmm. one of the things I appreciate is in our dialogue, they often calm me down. Mm-hmm. Not always, but, right. you know, they often calm me down. And I appreciate that. And because we have come to a consensus and we usually are quite united on these things, we're much more effective. I would like to see us in the coming years be more of a leader in the state on these issues because all the issues that you mentioned at the beginning right. of the podcast, I think we're on top of it in Washington County. Are we perfect? No. Could we always do better? Yes. Are we always striving to do better? Yes. Are there things that get through the cracks or fall through? Yes. Can we deal with them? We'll do our best. But I think we're head and shoulders above anybody else in the state. And uh, a lot of the rural districts look up to us for that leadership. And I think we can provide it by doing those things. But once again, we have to be fair to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really, a cha- it's always an ongoing challenge. So if there was anything that you could do or implement or change, say, assuming you have the full support of the board, what would it be? Is there anything pressing you feel like right now that you're working well, on? Well, once again, I just think I, I actually think that we have the full support of the board on most of those things. I mean, we're working on constantly upgrading policies. You know, we, we're revisiting some of our policies all the time, trying to figure out how to how to navigate the current world. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I could really change something, I would change the administration at the, in Washington, D.C., I mean, yeah. if I could wave a magic wand, boom, send them all to eliminate the U.S. Department of Education, just send them to Lebanon or Gaza or wherever it is, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. We'd, we'd get rid of a lot of that. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've had, uh, we were at the National School Board Convention and I attended some of the legal stuff on Title IX and we had conservative people in there. We had liberal people in there. And it's like you get a new administration. The Obama administration did one thing. The Trump administration comes in. It's 180 degrees different. And it mm -hmm. takes a while for schools to adjust to that. Then the Biden administration comes in, and now they're even farther than the Obama administration. And yeah. it's essentially another Obama administration, frankly, but that's a topic for another time. Once again, I'm hopeful that we'll get another 180-degree turn. Yeah. But our job as local schools is just to navigate them as best we can. And if we have to make tough choices that the community wants to make, well, that's why we're there. And we have to balance all of those needs. Right. Well, mm -hmm. and I certainly appreciate your willingness always to listen to parents, answer questions, actually get back to us, even regardless, actually, of if we're your you know, voter or not. I mm -hmm. really appreciate that we at least have someone on the school board who who is a voice and willing to listen. Sure. So we need I to do this again. All of them are willing. It's just I'm I'm a little more vocal. That's all. We, yeah. we do have a really good board. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We'll have part two coming up. Thanks for being a part of the Michelle Tanner podcast. Please like, follow, subscribe and share. And always remember to keep exposing truth. But I won't back down. No, I won't back down. This has been a production from a podcast studio.